Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, in today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with L. Ray Noble, an investor-focused realtor in Edmonton, Alberta. He started out his investment journey wholesaling and quickly saw that having his real estate license was a huge asset to be able to offer his clients more value and options. He is also the host of a podcast, Building Wealth Through Real Estate, so I'd recommend checking that out. In this show, we talk about the Edmonton market and what opportunities you see in there for investors. Enjoy the show. Hey, El Ray, I'm excited to have you on the show. Just want to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. If you could just maybe start off by telling me a little bit about yourself and what's keeping you busy these days. Hey, Corey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on, man. What's keeping me busy these days is real estate. Most of my investor clients, to be more specific, pretty busy on mine. But a little bit about myself is I started out a little on the wholesaling side of things. And my mentor told me, you know, you should actually go get yourself licensed. And um, that's essentially what I ended up doing. And I didn't want to work with just your standard home buyers and sellers. So I ended up focusing on the investor side of things. So yeah, my investors have been keeping me pretty busy these days. That's cool. And you're in Edmonton, Alberta. That's correct. And I probably should have mentioned that. Yeah, that's yep. okay. We're going to dive into it. The listeners will know pretty quick. So how long did you do the wholesaling for and what kind of got you started doing that? Just a little bit more of the background. Yeah, yeah. Great question. To be honest, not that long. Like my coaching call was actually more geared towards me wanting to expand. Like just started a couple of months into it. And the amount of leads I was getting was at a point where I was like, I feel like I can start expanding. And obviously the advice that I got from my coach at the time wasn't what I wanted to hear. I was like, here's my business plan. Here's my organizational chart. This is what I want to go out and do. And he's like, you know what? I feel like you should get licensed. I feel like you'd make a great realtor. You're a family man. And essentially it actually worked out great because it allowed me to transition full swing into real estate which is essentially where my passion is. And of course, at the time I had, as you know, an investor podcast where I interview local Canadian investors like yourself. And I was like, well, I guess if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to dive full swing into that. And yeah, I found that it was a good transition. Initially, it came to a shocker as a surprise. I'm like, no, I don't think this would work. And yeah, I don't regret the decision. I don't regret it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's amazing, man. That's a great way to start, right? Get in front of those distressed properties and just basically assigning those contracts, right? As a wholesaler. And then what I noticed too, because I've kind of done some of that stuff too, is that as a realtor, you have more options. There's properties you get in front of that it doesn't make sense to wholesale. It's like, well, this would be a great listing. You're going to make more money, right? Better service to your client. 100% Corey, you spot on there. So essentially what I came to realize after I just sat down and thought about it for a little while was, well, I can provide more options to people. Now, typically as a wholesaler, you're looking for distressed properties and that's great. So when I'd get these leads coming in, I'd ask him like, in a perfect world, you'd get as much for your property as possible and sell it as quickly as possible. But if you had to pick one, what would your primary goal be? Would it be to sell your property as quickly as possible as is without having to do anything? Well, then it makes for a prime property on the wholesaling side. But of course, like you mentioned, not all properties fit the bill for wholesaling. Sometimes they just, there's no value add. You know, it wouldn't work as a rental. It's a pretty new property. It's in great shape. There's nothing for an investor to come in and do. And in those cases, it just makes sense to list it, get more eyeballs on the property, get it on the MLS and try and get as much of the property as possible. I like the fact that I now essentially have more options to offer sellers out there. As myself and my team of investors could buy your property off market, not have the showings, not have people in and out of your house, not have to clean or do any renovations and just, you know, have a, a swift clean sale or we could actually get it listed and try and get you as much of your property as possible. 100%. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so yeah. 
sure most of our listeners or all of them have heard of Edmonton, Alberta, but could you just start off, maybe just give us a kind of just a high level view about Edmonton, where it's located, that kind of stuff, so people have been there? Yeah, well, everyone knows Calgary, right? So we're slightly north of Calgary, located in, as you mentioned, Alberta. And yeah, a little bit about Edmonton. I know your podcast is geared towards investors. And I'm finding that a lot of investors are moving their interest and moving their size towards Alberta in general. So yeah, it's between Calgary and Edmonton. So a little bit about Edmonton, of course, oil and gas driven. We are seeing some other industries as well. And we can touch on that a little later. But it's a great place I find for investors, a pretty balanced market more likely to cash flow. It doesn't have the insane up and down swings like you would see in Ontario and in BC, of course. But there's a special niche for investors here. And I'm seeing more and more out-of-province investors. I don't know if you've seen any of that on your end in Calgary as well. Calgary is definitely pretty sought after by out-of-province. But, you know, in the investor world, it seems like Edmonton is just a bit more sought after by maybe not a new investor, more seasoned investors are targeting Edmonton and multifamily, that kind of thing from what I've been hearing. Would you agree? You know, you're not wrong there. And I think also between the two is Edmonton. I mean, just in general, Edmonton barrier of entry is a whole lot lower. Price points a whole lot lower. And if you compare it between Calgary and Edmonton, I would say it will probably be the case as well. So I do agree that I see a ton of out-of-province investors just geared towards Edmonton, a lot into the multifamily, small multifamily. And then even on the residential side, I see that as well. Just like a lot of investors are like, I want to get into a property, but I don't want to have to wait. Even on the newer investors, they don't want to have to wait that long to be able to actually get into a property out in BC or in Ontario, right? Where they can get into a property right away with the savings that they have in Edmonton. So that's one of the other reasons. And then, of course, we can dive into this, but, you know, Alberta has a lot more favorable landlord tenant laws. So, yeah. 100%. One yeah. Of other reasons. So, what has 2023 been like in Edmonton so far? Like for Calgary, we basically had low inventory pretty much all 2023. And how has it been in Edmonton? How's the inventory? Are you going into multiple offers, that kind of thing, when you see a transaction? Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Well, firstly, this last year has been a little bit of a roller coaster, I think, probably for you guys as well. Going back into last year, things obviously spiked up. Investors were even having to go unconditional to really try and compete on that front. And then interest rates went up. And of course, we peaked. And that's where we saw, you know, the whole downswing on the roller coaster and all the way down to December. And then from January, we started really seeing things slowly pick up again. As for inventory, yeah, inventory has been low. We've seen a ramp up into the spring. As for multiple offers, they have been happening quite throughout the spring, summer. And to be honest, I still get the occasional multiple offer on the buying side. So that is still happening. But as of, you could say around August, we started to see a slow decline, which I would probably just say it's more just seasonal than anything else, really. But yeah, sales is actually year over year. We're doing a little better than what we were last year. But if you think about it, this time last year, everyone was holding back on, hey, what's happening with interest rates, right? So yeah. yeah. What about appreciation? Have you seen much increase percentage wise? Yeah, well, the one thing with Edmonton in general is we are pretty balanced market. So we don't see those high highs and low lows, right? But we were seeing crazy appreciation, like I said, the beginning of last year before interest rates started increasing. And then then we saw quite the dip. And things have started to come back up now. But yeah, if you're looking for crazy, crazy appreciation, you're not really going to find it in Alberta, I would say. However, I am somewhat hopeful with regards to Edmonton's appreciation going forward. I actually had a podcast interview with Russell Westcott, and we actually discussed the economics of Alberta and why he's really 
putting all his investing efforts into Alberta and the economic factors that he looks at behind what to analyze and how to know if it's a good time to be acquiring as many properties as you possibly can. So one of the things for Edmonton is Edmonton plans to expand, but they plan on expanding within the Anthony Hende, which is the big ring around Edmonton. Now they can, of course, expand outwards, but they're looking to expand inside. And one of the things Russell touched on was he was like, one of the reasons for this is simply they could increase taxes without having to build newer roads if they were to expand outside more services, that sort of things, which increase the cost, right? So they can increase the income without increasing the cost. Now, what does that mean for investors? Well, simply put is the value of the land is going to go up. It's like the last time he saw this was in BC 20 years ago. Now, of course, he's not saying that, you know, we're going to have crazy appreciation like you'd see in BC, but that artificial landlock's definitely going to play a big role in value over the coming years, right? Yeah, I listened to that show. I thought it was great. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he provided a lot of great information. And, you know, the infrastructure too, about having to build up and not out, right? Like it's difficult, you know, to have all the infrastructure in place. Yeah, the focus is going to be trying to build up more so than outward. Yeah. Even around Edmonton area, Calgary, where there is a fair bit of land still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I remember hearing that they're going to do a test pilot on the bullet train. I think it was to the airport or something. Have you heard anything about that? I heard about that and then I heard that it was no longer happening. Yeah, I'm not too sure yeah, person, it anymore. Person would have to Google it. But then Edmonton also has a huge industrial kind of association, right? Like there's a huge park where there's billions of dollars of projects, I think, that they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Like I was saying earlier on, is there's a whole lot of other industries that we've seen in the city as well. Like, you know, the tech and innovation side. So I know a lot of people are like Edmonton is just purely oil and gas, but that's not necessarily the case. But yeah, one other thing is, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, is they have been working on the LRT for the last couple of years that's been in the works. So properties in and around close to where the LRTs would be would essentially see some better appreciation as well. Yeah, see that lift for sure. Yeah. And that migration, is it kind of like Calgary where you have more people coming than say, like, what's your rental vacancy rate right now? Just so even if you don't have the number, just maybe just if you could talk about it and... Yeah, no, 100%. Vacancies are like at an all-time low, you know, inventory is a big problem. And one of the reasons why, I mean, the one reason is, is just lack of inventory. We need more inventory, right? But another reason, of course, I'm sure you've seen this as well, is just when interest rates increase, what happens to people's buying power, you know, that just goes down. So it pushes a whole lot of other people into the rental market. So currently right now, vacancies are at all-time low. One thing that I will say is, yes, Edmonton's net migration or immigration is definitely, I want to say, According to Edmonton Global, we saw about a net of around, I think, 22,000 people last year. So, yeah, I'm seeing people from all different industries. I'm seeing nurses immigrate to Edmonton, people from all different walks. And I'm sure you've seen it in Calgary, too. And, you know, one of the reasons why is even people within Canada is just simply because the cost of living is just a whole lot more affordable. The side. You could get a whole lot more home the side in Edmonton than you can in, you know, places like Toronto and Vancouver. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know I how are things in comparison in Calgary. Yeah, things are crazy that side. On the selling side, you know, it can look like a rock star pretty easily as a realtor because you get mm -hmm. multiple offers over asking, sold in 48 hours kind of stuff, right? And on the buying side, it's a struggle. It's tough. Like you're competing, it's multiple offers. And usually the first thing off the table are the conditions, right? So, if, you know, oh, yeah. you can't have a home inspection. You can't have finance. You have to have a big deposit. And likely you're going to have to pay more than what the person even asked for the property if there's a lot of pressure on it, right? So what I do with when I'm working with clients, if they're not comfortable with that, there's no point in chasing the new product that just came on 
like say today, because there's so much pressure on it. It's better to wait maybe and look at a house that's been on for seven days, 10 days, that kind of thing, days on market. Then it's easier to write those conditions in, right? But if it's priced right and it's a sought after property, it's still moving really fast. Talk to other realtors and it, it seems like maybe there's a little bit of cracks or slowdown or just even just, just like occasionally a property will come up and you'd think it'd go multiple and it doesn't, but there's still historically low inventory and it's just more demand than the inventory can supply. So I think it's it's a challenging market. It really is to get deals done. Like you write offers and you feel like, well, this is just an exercise and you know, paperwork because unfortunately feeling like it's probably not going to happen in some cases, but, but yeah, it is what it is, right? As you know, you got to kind of work with what the market you have. One thing that I do with my buyers, and I'm not sure if you've done this yourself is, especially with multiple offers, we put in an escalation clause. So essentially we don't put a price in our offer. We put C other terms and under other terms, we'd put buyer to pay $2,000 more than the highest offer up to a maximum of x whatever x is right whatever the maximum for that buyer is like if this goes above this price i'm walking away i don't care and then the seller to provide proof of the highest offer and sometimes this works i mean sometimes i've had some sellers that come back and they're like look my client wants an actual amount but for the most part it's a great way to guarantee that you stand a chance of getting the property without overpaying because i don't know if you've seen this but that's one of the problems people have is like you call them up like hey we just got the offer accepted we won the multiple and now they're like well damn, how much did I overpay by? You know, did I go over by 20K? Like, what did I go over by? So I found it was a nice way of getting that. But of course, again, in that case, like you mentioned, you can't compete with unconditional offers, right? Unless you're working with someone that's seasoned, that's more than happy to go unconditional. Oftentimes, the sellers will go for unconditional offer that's maybe even a little less than an offer with conditions that's got a higher price point. Definitely see that fairly often, especially on a property like you walk through and you're like, oh, wow, it needs a roof. It needs, you can see there's probably... Fifteen twenty thousand dollars worth of work. If the buyer is comfortable with what it needs and does do the unconditional less than asking, generally the seller will take it because they already know. If I allow someone to do a home inspection, well, they're going to come back and say, "Well, you know, the furnace is forty years old, the roof needs to be replaced," and so they already know that, and so they just end up just taking the unconditional and even less than asking. So I do see that some of those go through too. Yeah, I'll let you get back to asking me the questions. <laughs> I, I just sort okay. of took over. Okay, no. Yeah, the escalation clause works too, for sure, in offers, multiple offers. I just want to talk, so you said the rental market, pretty high demand. What type of properties are your investors that you're working with kind of having the most success with? And I guess if you could maybe speak to the cash flow, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a few strategies that I'm currently helping uh, my investors with. I think the most common, of course, would be like your rentals, turnkey burrs. And it's on townhouses, single families, and then small multifamily units. I do have a few flippers on the go, but the strategy I find most exciting, and again, this is one that I spoke with Russell, is the investors buying properties close to lot value. Maybe they're renting it out for a little while if it's in decent shape, you know, a 1950s bull or whatever, but they don't have to put much into it. And then long-term strategy is to get the lot to its highest and best value, right? Highest and best use and, and, and build like a small multifamily and maybe push it into commercial financing, which allows you to then get the longer amortization, you know, higher loan to value ratio. But with current interest rates, you kind of sometimes have to be creative to try and make things cash flow, right? So that's one strategy that, that I'm super fascinated by. And I think that's one that we're really going to see pick up over the next couple of months. I'm already helping a, a couple of investors with that. Another one would be it's sort of a niche that I'm seeing. And it's been like this for like a year now within the townhouse space where you could find a townhouse at a pretty reasonable price. And you could 
either burr the town off, you could fix it up for rental and pull some of your money, most of your money out, and then still cash flow at the end of it, or you could just buy a turnkey townhouse. Of course, these are your older townhouses. And with condo fees, you're still able to cash flow, you know, $500 a month, $300 a month, easy with current interest rates. The one thing I would say, of course, is townhouses don't appreciate as well as single family homes. So, I mean, you have to pick what you want to focus on and what your goal is. And then, of course, the older townhouses, you just have to do your due diligence on the condo side, right? Check the condo docs. Like, are there any special assessments coming up? Are there any condo fee increases? But I'm seeing that. I'm seeing less on the flips. I, like I said, I am helping some investors with flips here and there. But for the most part, it's most of the investors are helping are just all on acquisition mode, trying to get as many rental properties as they potentially can. And like I said, it, it's not really property specific, but the two most common ones I would say would be townhouses. And then, of course, detached single family homes or even your like side by side duplexes, your smaller multifamilies as well. Yeah. How does the city view like suites? So do you have investors also chasing like in Calgary, a common one is to find something with an illegal suite and legalize it. And the city has different rules depending on how long the suite's been there. Do you see many people kind of going after that product? Oh, 100%. You know, last year before interest rates increased, you could throw a stone and hit a cash flow in property, right? And the most common type would be a suited property get you the most cash flow, right? I mean, it is a little more intensive on the management side, of course, but the numbers perform really well. So yeah, that's a common strategy within Edmonton. And I want to say most of your, I mean, other than your new builds, most of your suited properties are signed, tend not to be legal suites, right? And it's a common strategy for investors to buy a suite and look to legalize it. Now, as for how easy it is and what the scope is, I think it really depends on the suite itself. Like, you know, there's a few things to look at it's the windows and the windows need to be egress, of course, right? So are they needing to cut into the concrete? Do they need to get larger windows in? Heating, you need two heating sources, you know, are we needing to put another furnace in? That sort of thing. Now, taking that illegal suite and legalizing it, well, there are some steps you may have to take back to get it legalized. Like, Oftentimes, when you want to get a suite legalized, you need to get the ready to uncover inspection, right? So you may have to open up some drywall so that they can come inspect behind that and have a look at that. So that may be some complications here and there, but it can still work for you 100%. What I would say, though, is sometimes we find like if it's not suited, but it's a finished basement, that it's actually more beneficial to try and find a property that doesn't have a finished basement. And like totally, 100%. Yeah, it's painful to especially I kind of hope that Alberta or the city start to align maybe closer to Ontario with some of their rules on the furnaces, separate heat sources and stuff. Yeah. But right now, like I just got it priced out for a property of mine, and it's finished basement and to get two new furnaces and all the drywall ductwork changed, probably not going to end up moving forward with it. But just on that ticket alone is probably anywhere from 15 to 18,000 just to get, you know, the separate heat sources. But yeah. in Calgary, they have an amnesty period. So if the suite was there prior to 2018, they say, okay, you don't need a separate heat source, but you do need egress windows, you need separate entrance, all that stuff, right? Yeah. Interconnected smoke alarms, and then they've changed the rules a little bit around the furnace room stuff. But in Ontario, what they do is they have one heat source and they put a relay and they connect it to the smoke detector. So if a smoke detector goes off on either unit, it shuts the furnace down. And to me, like if they want to start streamlining the process and actually, you know, this housing crisis that we're in, that's the stuff they need to implement. And same with like why drywall yeah. the entire furnace room when you could use a commercial grade like spray foam that's fire rated and spray the thing. Yes. Right. So they have all these yes. barriers that cost way more money. That's way more time consuming. And that's why you're seeing people put illegal suites in and not go to the city yeah. because the city's adding 25,000 
dollars to the work, right? And slowing down the process. So it's unfortunate. 100% man, exactly. You have the option to like do like baseboard heaters, but the, you know, you do electric baseboard heaters and it's maybe it's cheaper to put it in up front, but you know, it's more expensive to maintain as well. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. and does, does it really make sense? So yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. And that's why there's, there's such a large number of illegal suites. Now we do get the, you know, the non-conforming ones that were once upon a time legal and we're okay to keep it that way up until the time that the city decides that it's not okay. But yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting and it's a little bit frustrating, I think, all at the same time. The other thing that I see as a realtor working with investors is almost every property that gets renovated is depending on where it is, but a lot of them, they're throwing the illegal suites in. They know that people want a mortgage helper. So if you're, even if you're not an investor looking to go to the bank and say, well, actually, this is income and you know to actually qualify for more down the road, people are just looking for a way to lower their cost of living. So whether it's a family member living down there or just a friend or whatever that is, but it's a way for them to house hack and actually provide much needed housing. Oh, 100%. Exactly. It's not just for investors only. There's a lot of families that need that. And like you mentioned is, of course, when it comes to the lending side is oftentimes they want to see that it's legalized for them to account that rental income into their calculations. But regardless, it's a big factor just given the current cost of holding a mortgage. Yeah. And uh, what about short-term rentals? Are you seeing many investors doing those in Edmonton? You know, we do have our fair share of, of short-term rental investors. I do find that, you know, there's obviously specific spots that work best for it, like, you know, close to West Edmonton Mall. You know, if someone's coming to Edmonton, chances are they're going to want to go to the mall, right? West Edmonton Mall has a lot to offer. There are specific spots, but what I do find, you tend to have your investors that focus on your long-term rentals, and then you have ones that focus on short-term rentals, and that's sort of their gig, right? One thing that I have heard from many, many short-term rental investors, the side is that they steer clear from condominiums of all yeah. kinds, if they can help it, just because, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, your fate is in the hands of the bylaws, and if they decide to change that at any time, then, you know, what say do you have over that? I mean, you, you could have guests that come in for a short period and they're rowdy and they're noisy and the residents don't like that. So they decide, hey, we're no longer allowing any short-term rentals. So most of the short-term rentals investors, I find they focus more on the single family side of things. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. I wanted to circle back. So you'd mentioned that one strategy, and I see this in Calgary as well, is they're looking to buy a property. Maybe it's a bit distressed. They're going to rent it out for a while, but then have it rezoned for, say, multifamily. Is it primarily corner lots that are the hot? piece of property that people are looking for? Absolutely. It definitely is. Put a caveat on that is it doesn't have to be a corner lot. Like I've seen lots that aren't corner lots and they get like two or three and they just go ahead and build row houses on it. But of course, corner lots are the big thing. Like everyone wants a corner lot, right? You get more use out of it. You get more parking space. It's just, it works out better in general. So yeah, corner lots are more desirable for sure. Easier to build on. And then what's the timeline typically? Like if, let's say I was coming to you and I'm like, hey, I want to find an older property. Same thing. It's not zoned correctly right now for multifamily and apply to Edmonton. What kind of timeline would you estimate to kind of get it rezoned? And can you speak to the process at all? That's a tough one. That's honestly a tough one, Corey. We have a guy on our power team, Unko, and he's a large scale contractor. I usually let my clients work with him because I know that the permitting process can be quite extensive. And I think the timelines are just getting longer and longer. So at this point in time, I don't know, I can't really comment too much on that. But I would say that that's a big, big factor to consider. And that's why I find it beneficial for the clients that go 
I want to get something that's close to lot value, but I can still rent it out as opposed yeah. to something that's like at lot value, like the house needs to be demoed and, you know, I'm just going to sit and wait until I can get things going is, you know, you could get some rental income coming in while you get all your ducks in a row and try and get everything in place. But yeah, no, unfortunately, I can't give you like a no, that's okay. right on song. And I'm sure it always changes anyway. For, that's the thing. It, it does, right? And I went for coffee just too long ago with Bester. And that's one of his strategies is looking for the corner lots and then basically having them rezoned. I know Calgary, I think it could be up to eight months to have that rezoned. And then in Calgary, there is some, you know, builder plans that they can put up. I think it's eight units on a 50 by 120 lot. And it does have like, I think four single car garages in the back. But in the lower level, I think those are like the little one bedroom bachelor kind of suites, right? And then the other four are up top. A pretty interesting strategy. So I think I would suggest any listener in your portfolio, if you own something that has a corner lot and you're currently renting it out, why not take the time, spend the money and put, you know, the application in to have it rezoned while you're renting it? Because it could be something you want to do next year, right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. There's big opportunity there for sure. Could be another way to JV. Right? So like if you have that corner lot and you get it rezoned, find another investor who's doing it and JV with them, right? Yeah. Especially if yeah. the zoning stuff has all been cleared and the city says, yep, you know, we basically have our approval now, right? Exactly. Exactly. Instead of selling it and having someone else do that, you're absolutely right. You could find a JV partner and capitalize on the lot that you have. Yeah, I think that's a great strategy. Interest rates are rising and you said you saw a bit of a pullback in August, which could be a bit seasonal. But do you kind of see things like, I know we don't, neither one of us have a crystal ball, but do you think with these interest rates continuing to climb, do you think it might cool a little bit? Yeah, it's a tough one. Asked my mortgage broker that exact same question, like, you know, what's happening? Because of course, everyone wants to know. And it's like, you know, it could go 50-50. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I would say it's promising that the last announcement they held interest rates where they are. I think it just, it honestly depends, but I'm hoping that things stay where they are. And if it does increase, I don't foresee it being drastic increases again. But yeah, hopeful think, that it stays where it, are, where it is. I don't know. I don't know what, if you have any insight on that. I don't have any either. What does your think... crystal ball say? <laughs> The only wild card I can think of that may impact, but it, maybe it'll just bring us back to balance, is the 20% of people that are on variable rates that have to do a refinance. You know, those are the people that either might sell, that kind of thing. I'm chatting with my mortgage broker, or one of the mortgage brokers that I know, they said that they're seeing a lot more people do the refinance. So that their mortgage is coming up for renewal and they actually don't even qualify anymore. Like the bank would say, no, actually, sorry, you don't even qualify for that mortgage that you've been paying for the last five years. And so then they have to do a refi and they have to pay down any vehicle debt, any sort of other additional you know debt they may have so that the bank would even give them another loan, right? So that's the kind of stuff that we're starting to see maybe would be a headwind, right? I don't know about you, but you know, I have quite a few clients that, you know, the comfy fixed rate that they had locked in is expiring and they're like, hey, I'm ready to sell. And they'd rather just sell before they get switched over onto variable as well. I think it's a big motivator for a lot of people. Are you seeing that on your end? Yeah, yeah, we definitely are. Are there some cities outside of Edmonton that maybe some of your investors are starting to look at? I generally service the greater Edmonton area. So that would include Sherwood Park, St. Albert, you know, Leduc, Beaumont, that sort of thing. What about Fort Saskatchewan? Do you see people buying much out there? Or Fort Saskatchewan would be closer to some of that industrial work, right? Yeah, yeah, it would be, it would be. On a personal side, no. Yeah, I'm not seeing much on my end. To be honest, most of it's within Edmonton. I would say there's a select group of people that really like Sherwood Park, and that's just where they'll invest. St. Albert, as well as Leduc, that goes off really well. Anything outside of that, 
yeah, I'm not seeing much in Porsche Saskatchewan, but then anything outside of that, as you know, I send people over. So if it's in Calgary, send them over to my man, Corey. I'm seeing a few in Red Deer as well. And that's more or less where I'm seeing most of the drive. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything like where you've seen maybe you help steer investors away from certain products or anything? Like kind of mentioned condos, right? So condos, for sure, that can be a bit of a dangerous product. Is there anything else you can think of where, or maybe even areas of Edmonton that maybe? That's a great question, man. (laughs) Especially for out of province investors. I find that, of course, they don't know the city that well. And if you look on paper, you're like, you could find these properties that just take cash flow like crazy. They perform really well on paper, but it's on paper. So there's specific parts of the city that you probably want to avoid as an out-of-city or out-of-province investor, right? Because, I mean, of course, they look great on paper, but there's a cost to that you're not seeing. You know, it's on the management side. It's on the tenant turnover, the property damage, that side of things, right? So I often find that for my out-of province investors especially, it takes a lot of educating on the spots of the city to avoid. I wouldn't say there's terrible spots because I do see even those more problematic spots, I do see local investors really, that's like where they shine. That's their niche market and they know how to handle it. They know how to screen tenant profile in those locations. But for out of province investors that are going to outsource the management to a property management company, if you have one or two rentals, well, chances are you're not like on the property management company's high priority list. So those areas are going to be a little more management, a little more intensive. So you may have more vacancy, more turnover, that sort of thing. So I find most of the time it's setting those expectations on where to avoid. But it also, I think, comes down to the investors' preferences themselves. So typically I'll do like an investor consult and that's when we discuss the investors' lifestyle, their goals, their resources, and then we sort of formulate a strategy and In doing so, we'll figure out which locations work best for the strategies that they have in mind, as well as their resources and time and management being one of it as well. Yeah, Yeah, that really makes sense. But speaking about condos, answering your question on condos, on the short-term rental side, you have to be very cautious on the condos. And then, of course, we are seeing a lot of special assessments can make a big difference. I had another client where we had... 20k special assessments on townhouses that he owned and you know he owned two townhouses and yeah unfortunately it's a tough situation to be in so even on the buying side is making sure you do that due diligence you don't want to be hit with a special assessment yeah yeah that cash flow that you were banking on for all those years gets eaten up pretty fast right when that happens that's the thing that's the thing and then on the flip side and i don't know if you see this on your end but i find the apartments don't obviously appreciate as well. So, you know, I oftentimes get sellers that are looking to sell and, you know, maybe they're taking a hit on the apartment side. Maybe they're not getting as much as what they paid for it when they actually bought it, depending on when they bought it though, right? That's one thing that I see that's pretty common. But yeah. In Calgary, condos, you know, they are now finally at a historical high in Calgary, generally speaking, but there are still some areas, especially like in the downtown core where people would have bought in 2014 and if they were to sell today they still haven't hit that value like in most of calgary has but there is still some spots that are lagging and they haven't hit that you know past the highest peak of 2014 so imagine you do get pay down but if your condo fees have gone up all that stuff and if you got hit with a special assessment well i don't know then it's basically you're not doing that well (laughs) as well as had you put your money into something else a different product right exactly how common are garden suites do you see many of them or oh that's becoming more and more common now honestly one thing i'll say is let's say you have a side-by-side duplex with basement suites so now you have four units well i'm seeing people wanting to 
go that further route and put a garden suite or garage suite on the property and push it into that five, six unit spot, right? And now they can, if they wanted to, push it into commercial financing as well, which again can help. But just in general, even outside of the investor realm, just your standard home buyers, I'm getting more and more requests on, hey, how much does it actually cost to build a garden suite or a garage suite, you know, so they can actually analyze the numbers and see if it's worth it. Now, one thing I will say is a lot of people think, hey, there's already a garage here. Great. We can actually just go ahead and build a garage suite with the existing garage. And no, unfortunately, you can't. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> you have to tear it down. You have to cut into the concrete and all of that. So that doesn't really help whether there's a garage or not. But um, yeah. It's actually so usually, makes it, usually makes it more expensive unless you have a big enough property where you could keep the existing garage and build something else. But yeah. if you got to tear it down and remove the concrete, it slows things down and actually costs a bit more, you know, when you have to remove a structure, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You guys seen an increase in the garden suites? Yeah. Me personally, with the investors I've been working with, I haven't seen a lot of it. There are certain areas of Calgary that have them. And generally speaking, the cost, like it's usually more cost effective to buy a property that already has one built as an investor yeah. than to take on building one because of the 100 percent right because there's quite an expensive like it could be three hundred thousand, could be more to build that garden suite by the time you're done so in calgary yeah i know i don't know what it would be in edmonton but <laughs> no it's it's a little less in edmonton you know the last i checked with a large-scale contractor it was i want to say around 200s mid 200s but you're absolutely right when we run our numbers is does it really make sense Right now, no. But buying one that does have it, yeah, absolutely. You're 100% right there. It's cheaper to add a basement suite than it is to build a garage suite, right? So, you know, your ROI on that is a little better with your performance. But yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, we're getting really close to the end here. I really enjoyed chatting with you. And so I'm going to hit you with some like kind of more quick response, personal questions. So what's a place you'd like to travel that you've never been before? Rapid fire. So yeah, I would say... Hawaii. My wife has been dying to go to Hawaii. I'd love to take her to Hawaii. Crazy. Yeah, it's interesting you haven't been there. I've actually been there yeah. a fair bit over the years. Yeah, but you, you got to go. I know. I know a lot of people in Canada go. I uh, Yeah, yeah. That, that's on our bucket list for sure. Yeah. And actually, it's a pretty reasonable flight too from Alberta, right? It's not too yeah. bad. Like, And that's a, you have a favorite book or a movie? Oh, favorite book, I would say How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Man, I've gone through that so many times. I'm a firm believer that communication skills and being able to articulate yourself and essentially persuade and influence people is probably the most important skill that you can focus on. So yeah, I would say up until this day, that's my favorite book. It's not an investing book. It's not an entrepreneurship book or anything. It comes down to how to win friends and influence people. I don't know if you've read it yourself. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I should go back yeah. and reread it though. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And then what kind of things do you like doing outside of real estate world? Like with your downtime? I'm a family man myself. So honestly, my downtime, it's trying to balance the guilt of being so busy and not spending enough time with my family. So it's wrestling on the bed with the kids, taking the kids out to the park. And when the kids are finally down and sleeping, it's spending some time with my wife. Maybe it's watching a good movie or something. Yeah. Nice. Awesome, man. And maybe if we could I just get you to plug your podcast and just let our listeners know for anybody that's interested in maybe investing in Edmonton, what's the best way for them to get in touch or get in hold of you? Absolutely. So first answer there for my podcast, it's Building Wealth Through Real Estate. Find it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any of the listening platforms, really. As to get in hold of me, you could email me, you could find me on Facebook, on Instagram. 
really anywhere send me a dm i tell you like one thing is like as a busy realtor as i'm sure you can relate to this is you know i'm on the road sometimes doing showings from the morning into the evening and still able to write a bunch of offers and that's just purely due to my team <laughs> so yeah. i can't take credit for that so i probably should highlight my team so yeah i'm with a mogul realty group investor focused uh, team here in edmonton as well as in vancouver amazing yeah that's awesome man well thank you so much again for being on the show it was a pleasure having you on thanks brother thank you for having me and i look forward to having you on my show me too hey thanks again for listening to the calgary real estate investing podcast i'm your host Corey peckford i'm an investment focused real estate agent in calgary alberta i'm also an entrepreneur red seal electrician and i hold a master home inspection certification if you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at Peckford Corey, or my website is coreypeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.